Good morning, church family. Glad to be with you this morning. Those of you online, those of you in the outdoor venue, and those of you downstairs in Elfers Hall, and those of you in this room, um, so glad that we can gather in the name of Jesus, whether that's virtually or actually in person. If I could ask you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 this morning. So if you uh, don't have a Bible, you can pull it up on your phone. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Please let me know and we'll get you a Bible. Acts chapter 17. Could you stand as I read a portion of it here? Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would provoke us this morning, that you would provoke our spirit, that you would reveal our idols, that you would heal our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. I pray that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning. And remind us of the place that you have put us through your blood, through your cross, through your resurrection. You have opened up the way for us into your very presence. We can enter the holy of holies. You, the holy one of all holiness, is living and abiding within us. So I pray that you would make us aware of your presence this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, are you provoked? You can have a seat. Are you provoked? I would imagine as you consider what's going on in the world, as you, as you consider being shut up in your own home, being socially isolated from people, as you, as you look at racial injustice in the world, as you look at police brutality in the world, as you look at crowds rioting and looting in the world, as you, as you listen to different things and hear different things, I would imagine that you're provoked. Provoked isn't a word that we use often in our, in our language, in our conversation. Eric did use it this morning. Um, I think that's a, but it's an appropriate word. It's a word that we're feeling more and more often. To feel provoked, it means to be stirred up or sharpened or, or to become angry. The Bible tells us to be angry and do not sin. And so that, this is what it means to be provoked. It, it, it's to have something happen in you. Or it means to stimulate, have your feelings stimulated in such a way where it results in action. That's what it means to be provoked. And we see here in Acts chapter 17 verse 16 that Paul, as he's waiting for some of his missionary partners, he's in the city of Athens, this ancient city, this, this city filled with art, filled with philosophy, filled with, filled with human intellect and discussion and conversation. In fact, Athens, I think, is pretty similar to Minneapolis. Minneapolis, a city filled with art, filled with philosophy, filled with, filled with many different colleges, filled with ideas and thought and discussion. And so Paul is in this ancient city, and as he walks around this ancient city, it tells us in verse 16 that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. And so Paul is walking through this ancient city. He sees idols, and his spirit becomes provoked. And so this morning, I want to just pause. We're going to start a sermon series on the Ten Commandments next Sunday, and we're going to be walking through the Ten Commandments starting next Sunday. But this Sunday, kind of as a follow-up to last Sunday, and as a way to just continue to extend our racial lament, and, and trying to figure out what is God saying to us. Um, 
I've been all over the map. I've gone back and forth. I had this sermon prepared for last week, and we didn't do it last week as we did kind of an extended time of lamenting racial brokenness. And then I had this sermon prepared for this week, and I went back and forth on whether or not I would preach it. And I asked a couple other people to actually come and preach, but it didn't work out. And then I just don't know. I don't know what to say. It, it, and I hope that last week, as, as Divya shared her story, that in my own soul, I, I felt like, you know what, maybe, maybe it's less about what I have to say and more about coming alongside people and listening to people and, and hearing from people. And, and I hope that as a congregation, we felt that. And so I'm supposed to preach, Right? We have to fill up a certain amount of time on a Sunday morning gathering, and God has called me to preach, and we believe in the preaching of God's word, but I don't know exactly what to say. And so this morning, we're just going to walk through this text here and look at Paul coming into the city of Athens and see what we could learn from this text. And we are going to have another testimony from somebody in our congregation in just a little bit, but I want us to walk into this text. I want us to start walking through this and Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. My words are, are so few. I, I go back and forth with my own emotions, back and forth with my own thoughts, back and forth with my own um, growing in empathy and then becoming defensive again. And Lord, it, we're just a mess. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through your word in your name we pray, amen. And so a couple things that I want to look at this morning as we go through Acts 17. We're going to look at 17 verses 16 through 31. And I, I want to understand what provoked Paul and what did Paul do about it. And I think as we look at these two things, I think we can learn a lot about how we can deal with our own feelings of being provoked and figure out what ought to provoke us and then what do we do with that? If you feel angry, confused, bitter about anything happening in the world right now, any, anybody else? Am I just alone? How many of you feel angry, confused, sad, bitter, broken? Yes, all of us? All of these emotions swirling in different perspectives and different things, and, and it's just like, I don't, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What, what I feel myself. I don't know what I think myself. I don't know how to respond. That's what it means to be provoked. So the first step here, what provoked Paul? Being provoked is being stirred in your spirit. It's, it's having these emotions that cause you to want to do something, even if you're not quite sure what to do. And so what provoked Paul? That's the first question that I want us to ask. And we see it right here in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, his missionary companions in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. Idols. He saw idolatry. He saw idol worship in the city of Athens. Now, in the city of Athens, it was, it was idols made of, of stone and wood and gold. It was actual structures that people in the city of Athens had built to worship. Now, oftentimes, I think we skip over that because we think, well, we don't have idols. Like, most of you probably don't have idols erected in your home that you pray to or that you touch or that you do something um, to worship that idol. 
But I, I want us to not gloss over that too quickly because really what happens here is Paul takes the time to get underneath the surface. He's walking through the city of Athens and he sees physical idols, things created by human hands that humans would worship. And, and it says that he's provoked and he's provoked because of what the idols represented. He's not just provoked because these people in Athens aren't listening to him or don't have his same perspective on life or, or they just don't get it. They're so foolish and misguided. He's, he's provoked. He's, he's, he's angered or he's distraught in his soul because these idols represent misguided worship and misplaced trust. So I want us to think about that for ourselves, that, that an idol, it could be something made of hands, like it was in the city of Athens, or an idol could just be something that, that we, whether it's seen or not, that we worship other than God, that we put our trust in, that we put our hope in other than God. That's what's beneath the surface here. Paul is provoked as he sees the idols because the idols reveal to him that these people are lost that they're worshiping the wrong thing, that their worship is empty and that their trust is misplaced. Reminds me of Jesus when, when he sees the crowd in Matthew chapter nine. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We, we see this characteristic in Jesus. We see this characteristic in Paul that, that when they see a world spinning out of control, when they see whatever it is that is provoking them, and I would imagine in this room and online and whoever's watching this sermon, we're provoked by very different things. Maybe there's some shared things that we're provoked by, but we each probably have a handful of things that we're provoked by that's different than the person you're sitting next to, that's different than the person sitting on the other side of the building, that's different than your family members, that's different than your neighbors. I think we're all provoked, but we're provoked by various things. And so what I, what I see in this text here is that Paul, he sees this misguided worship and this misplaced trust, and that's what provokes him. He's not just mad at people for thinking differently than he does. His heart breaks for them. He, like Jesus, the one whom he follows, cares about the people. He cares about the brokenness in the city. He cares about the misguided worship and the misplaced trust. And so what does Paul do about it? We know what provokes him. He's provoked by these idols. What does he do about it? That's what I want us to look at this morning and spend our time kind of walking through this passage and see how Paul responds. What does Paul do when he's provoked? What ought we to do when we're provoked? Whatever's provoking us, what ought we to do? If provoking is having this kind of emotional reaction or this that you see something and, and something wells up in you, it's this emotional reaction that, that stirs us to action. So what's the action steps? That's what so many people ask. What am I su supposed to do about racial injustice? What am I supposed to do about police brutality? What am I supposed to do about crowds that lose control and, and riot and loot? What am I supposed to do? Well, I think we can learn from Paul here some things that we can do when we feel provoked, whatever it is that we're provoked about. What am I supposed to do when, when somebody tells me to wear a mask and I don't think I need to wear a mask? What am I supposed to do when I want to wear a mask and I think we should wear masks and other people don't? What am I supposed to do? 
Paul has some example for us. He, he, he sets a pattern that I think we can follow. The first one is that Paul leans in to what provoked him. Look at verse 16, 17. Now, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. How many times upon seeing idols, whether it's our own idols in our own hearts or whether it's other people's idolatry that provokes us, do we see it and do we run? I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to search my own soul. I don't want to have God reveal my own idols because that's hard and, and it makes me not feel good and, and it causes me to go into a season of lamenting and repenting and I just want to get on with my life. Or, or when we see the brokenness in the city around us, the neighborhoods around us, when we see idolatry, how often do people run from it? Notice what Paul does. He doesn't run from it. He leans into it. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, devout persons that is God-fearing Gentiles. So he goes to the synagogue. He goes to the place where God fears gather, Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. And in the marketplace, he goes outside of the marketplace as well. He's, he's, he's at church, essentially, and he's also out in the world, in the streets, in the gathering places of the city, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Some of them Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. See this, he, he leans into what he's being provoked by. He doesn't run from it. He doesn't just stay in his, his comfy little religious, he, he never had a comfy little religious world. He was being constantly thrown in prison and misunderstood and misinterpreted. But, but I want us to notice here that when Paul's provoked, he doesn't he doesn't tune out. He leans in. I want to figure this out. I want to understand what's happening here. I want to get below the surface. I see the idols. I see the tip of the iceberg, but I want to get below the surface. Why are people worshiping this? Why are people feeling this way? Why are they, why are they believing in these gods? And so he goes to the city. He goes into the area that was prov provoking him. And, and he had no other compadres here with him. Usually when Paul goes into a city, he has other missionary partners with him, other church planters with him, other brothers and sisters in the Lord with him. And here he's in Athens alone waiting for those people. But, but he doesn't just turn a blind eye to the people who are lost in their idolatry. He leans in. He has a conversation. And I want us to notice what he does next. He listens to and learns from others' perspectives. He, he leans in. He doesn't run away from the conflict. He doesn't run away from the idolatry. He doesn't run away from the city that is godless. He leans in. And as he leans in, he listens to and he learns from others' perspective. Look at verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Like, he's willing to be called a babbler by the city elites. What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So here he is preaching. He's, he's he, he is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, but he's engaging these people with different worldviews, different ideologies, different, they're worshiping different gods. They're of different religions. They have different idols. Verse 19, and they took hold of him and brought him to the Aragapius, saying, 
the Areopagus is a place in Athens where people would gather, where the, where the social and the intellectual and the religious elites would gather and talk about philosophy. And so they bring Paul there to the Areopagus, and they say, verse 19, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Like, oh, we, we hear something new. Here's this new idea. We have all these different ancient gods and pagan gods that we worship, and, and here's this guy telling us about Jesus, this, this resurrected Savior. May you tell us more. For you bring some strange things to our ears. And so he's listening to and learning from others' perspectives, but it's in this dialogue, right? This give and take. He's having dialogue with people. He's engaging them in conversation. That's what it means to listen to and learn from. He's, verse 17, it says that he reasoned. This is actually where we get our, our word dialogue from. In verse 18, it says that he conversed with. He, he's sitting down with people who have different perspectives, different experiences, different religions, and he's saying, tell me more. Let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you about the God that I worship. Tell me more about your worldview. Tell me more about your religion. Tell me more about what you experience and believe and think. And they took hold of him, brought him to the Aragopius, verse 19, saying, May we know that this new teaching, what this new teaching that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athens and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Does it sound like college? Right? Just sitting around, coming up with ideas and theories and questioning everything and that's Athens. It's like Minneapolis. So Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Aragopius, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. See how, how Paul is listening and learning from their perspectives? He sees the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg as the idols, but then he engages them in conversation. Tell me more, tell me more. He, he reasons with them. He converses with them. He perceives, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of Aragopia, says, Men of Athens, I perceive. I've heard. I've listened. I, I, and, and I perceive what's going on. I, I can see underneath the surface. And he observes. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, he, he walks through the town with open eyes, trying to understand, trying to learn what's happening in this city what are the people worshiping? What is their misguided worship? And where is their misplaced trust? Because he cares for the people in the city. He doesn't run away for, for his own comfort's sake. He wants to know. He wants to understand. He wants to learn. And, and so church family, just specifically on the topic of racial injustice this morning, it's been a long journey for me, and it's just beginning of trying to, to for me to, to lean into that, to, to listen to and learn from others' perspectives. I shared this last week, but I'm ashamed to admit how quickly I, I want to run away from it and live my life in my own comfy little white bubble, and, and how hard it is for me to listen to and learn from another person's perspective rather than trying to, to reinterpret it through my own perspective. The book, The Color of Compromise. If you want to have a battle with your soul, read that book this fall with us and go through the book study. That, that book is hard to read, and I find, found myself 
time and time again as I read that book, wanting to reinterpret what Jamar Kisby said through my own life experiences, rather than just allowing him to interpret history and communicate history to me through his life experiences and just through actual history, historical events. And so it's hard. It can be so hard for us to just listen and to learn from the perspective of others. But church, I think that's one of the key things that we're called to do right now. And as I've done this, I just want to share this with you. I've, I, I, as I've listened and I've learned and I'm continuing to do this and there's so much more to do, I've learned that racism is real and there are people in our church and community who are, who are hurting from it. Right? I hope you felt that last week. That, that, that these things are real and people are hurting from it. And it only hurts them more if we try and put a little white spin of interpretation onto it. And I've learned that as a majority white church, praise the Lord, we're not an all-white church. We have people from different walks of life. We have different skin colors. We have different nations represented in our church. But we are, we are a majority white church, a majority Minnesota native church that we need to do a much better job of listening to, learning from, and lamenting with people of color. Not, not trying to help them understand how we see the world. They, they, they experience often how we see the world. Just by definition, being a minority means there's so many things in life that are harder for you. That, that culturally, there's all these different cues and, and things that, that, are, that you get misinterpreted so often because you are a minority. Because majority culture, it's created for the majority. And as a white male in Minnesota, I'm part of the majority culture in Minnesota. And so things just, life just works for me in a certain way that it doesn't work for a minority. And that's what people mean by white privilege. It doesn't mean that I have to feel guilty about being a white boy who was born in Minnesota. No, God, God birthed me. Well, my mom birthed me. God ordained my life as a white male in Minnesota in this era. That was God's good design. So I don't need to feel guilty about who I am and what God has made me, but, but I do need to understand that life works for me a certain way that it doesn't work for others if I'm a part of the majority, and so I need to listen and I need to learn. So this morning, I, I want to offer us another opportunity to do that. Kai Chen, why don't you come up and share your story with us? We have a member of our church, Kai Chen, who is going to share with us some of his own experiences. And it's a great chance for us to continue to listen and learn. Thank you, Kai Chen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Good morning. Nice to be here with you all. It's surprisingly on my face that I'm from Asia. You do look more charming than me, I should admit, some of you. Um, as you know, I'm born from the communist household. You might be curious, how does it look like? We just grow you. I never faced with any direct form of racism when I was young, as I remember. Because in their ideology, you want to love them and mani manipulate them to kill the imperialists and billionaires together. I really don't know how much America about when I was young. From the books, the movie, I saw they were just arrogant like me, and they love apple pies. In general, I thought America were not racist. The British are because they burned Yuan Mingyuan before, 100 years ago in the war. That's another story. 
But the trouble really begins when I come here. First, the trade war. The Chinese students suddenly become unwelcomed. News followed by news. The students are trapped and attacked on the street, in the police station, without reason. The Chinese students are considered spies, all of them. Really? Do I look like one? Then the coronavirus happened. People eat suddenly blame me that I eat bats, we eat bats. I'm the sick man of East Asia, written by Wall Street Journal. Mr. Trump caught the Chinese virus. I'm suddenly a person with a plague. The old name, the old shame, 100 years ago, come to us again. Really? The things that happened to Irish, to Jewish before, would happen to China again, Chinese again. 100 years ago, in the Spanish flu, the Irish were blamed for the, for, for the plague and xenophobia happened. In the Middle East Europe, Jewish were killed because of Black Plague. We must stop it happen again. The xenophobia is a lie that, de that, that, that deceived, the devil put deceiving on you. We should never put it happen again. The WeChat, the TikTok, all things that Chinese use are unsafe. Think about that. Like the Japanese in the U in the, during the Second World War, the Japanese in the US country, how do they feel? That's what I feel now. I feel I will be sent back anytime just because of my Chinese identity, just because of my yellow face. They will just come to check me and send me because I'm the unwelcomed. Also because I'm a spy, also I'm not, I really promise. <laughs> Pastor Andrew today said about the topic of provoked, about idolatry. Reasons might happen. It only happens when you think you're insignificant. We will sing your minority of the others. We are, not, we are never the minority of others. We are, we are all not the minority in front of God. God will not never think you are the minority. Although you are in <coughs> minority, you should be strong only in the Lord. Without Christ, we can, all be, we can all be racist. The devil will come and put the seed of deceiving and proud in your heart. He is a liar, and he will get rid of your peace. In Genesis, the serpent said, did God actually say, you shall not eat, of, you shall not eat any of the tree in the garden? He, he also said, the devil, you will, not, you will not surely die. He wants to lie to you. He is a liar again. He will say, did God used to say, you shall love one another? Why not hate that one? Why not hate that Chinese or Irish or, Japan or Japanese? Come to hate them. Give them no food. He's using the same method in the Garden of Eden to lie to you, to trap you, to let you hate one another. You shall not follow that his agenda again. I, by some reasons, I know I must change. I used to hate those who trespass against me. I know I must change because Christ loved us first. Christ still asks for forgiveness for sinners on the cross. He knows black lives do matter. Yellow lives also matter. White lives do matter. Jesus said in John 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is a lamb that God 
chose that he loved so much that God commanded him to die for our sin. Because each of our life matters. Each of our eternity matters. You might be killed in a rob or died in a flood, but where you will end really matters. Come to Christ. In Matthew, in Matthew 3, 12 said, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his stretching floor and gather his wet into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Are you want to be the wet in joy in the heaven, or in the chaff in the eternal fire, which is the second death? It is a choice. Come to Jesus. It is a God that believes that everyone matters, so he said his only son to save us. You should believe so. If you believe everybody matters, come to Christ. Share this good news with others, because everybody's life matters. Not this life, but the eternal life. Stay your life in the barn, the new heaven and new earth that full of joy, or the hell that burned by the eternal fire. God will turn everything good to us. God will turn the thing around and benefit him in his glory. God will renew us day by day. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We should seek unity in Christ. The devil's lie will not defeat us. He tried to make conflict. He tried to rip out our peace. He can't. He never can. Because we have Christ. Xenophobias are based on lies. We love them because God loves us first. We love, other, we love one another, not hate each other. We are all the sons of the God or the daughter of the God. Say no to the devil. I don't believe you. I believe Christ. Because Christ will hold your fast. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. My thing is not even though your hand shall lead me, and your hands shall hold me. That's God say to us. My personal thing is, I do not look at the problem of racism deeply in this country when I got here first. It is a wound. We must solve it. It will only get bigger and bigger, and the tragedy will happen. Here it is. It will divide us. We need unity in this moment ever than before. We should ask Lord. Devil wants to divide us. We cannot let him achieve his goal. And God will hold you fast. The scripture said, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Although I might just be caught in Minneapolis airport as a, as a spy, but he will hold me fast. He's a God that can do anything that human hands cannot do. He, he's a mountain-moving, giant-slaving God, and you should believe in him. He's a God that created heaven and earth, and you should believe in him. He makes no stranger between you and him. Yes, people are stranger to us. Japanese, Chinese, or Irish, stranger to you, but we also used to be strangers to Christ in some moment. I quote, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked 
following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sounds of disobedience. We should love one another, not hate each other, as he commands us. That we are no more strangers sent to Christ and seek common in Christ. He will punish evil and reward who follow him and listen to his commandments. In Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. We need Jesus. You'll be blessed following God's commandments. We follow him. We love him and we love others. We love the riots. We are the Chinese. We love the Japanese. We will love the people who hates us. Everybody needs Jesus. Not only you, everybody. We should seek unity in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He was my light, my, my strength, my sound. You might serve your community, your people, as doctors, as teachers, or as artists, or as pastors. But today, this morning, I want you, every man and woman, to be a soldier. To be a soldier of Christ. Tell me, who's ready to be a soldier? A soldier of God use faith, love, and hope to fight for his kingdom. To fight for racism that God promised us. We should love them as God loves ourselves. We should love everybody as God loves ourselves. Thanks. Thank you, Kai Chen. That's basically the last half of the sermon. It's amazing. We got to hear Kai Chen's first sermon of many, I think. Amen? Thank you for sharing. Everybody needs Jesus, Kai Chen just shared with us. You know what I also heard? Or what stood out to me? I've never lived my life with the fear or concern of people mistaking me for a spy and sending me back home. The only time I've ever wanted to be mistaken as a spy is when I watch James Bond, 007. That'd be cool, right? It's a totally different life experience and perspective. And so we need to learn. We need to listen. We need to understand what it would be like to live your life showing up at the airport, going somewhere, even coming to church and thinking, are, are these people going to think that I'm a spy from China? Kai Chen, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for pressing through our ignorance and for calling us to love Jesus together. In fact, that's what Paul does. And I'm going to wrap this up. We're not going to walk through the rest of this passage in detail but that's what Paul does here in Acts 17. He levels the playing field. He does exactly what Kai Chen just did. And this, this wasn't planned. I didn't know what Kai Chen was going to preach at us this morning. Thank you for preaching Jesus to us. But this is what Paul does. He levels the playing field. He reminds the people in Athens that there is one humanity underneath King Jesus. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopius, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He even, he even affirms their religious worship. It's misplaced, but he affirms that you're, you're a religious people. You're a worshiping people. Verse 23, For as I passed along and observed the, the objects of your worship, I found also an altar 
with this inscription to the unknown God. So there was an idol that had on it written the word, the phrase, to an unknown God. Paul says, this I proclaim to you. The God who made this world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And he's saying, you're worshiping this unknown God? Let me tell you who he is. He's the God of heaven and earth, Yahweh. I am that I am. Verse 25, he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See how Paul levels the playing field? All of mankind has been given life from this God. Spiritually speaking, there is no privilege to your skin color. Humanly speaking, structurally in certain places, if you're part of the majority, absolutely, there's certain privileges. But spiritually speaking, there is no privilege. There is no elevated skin color. There is no elevated race. There is no elevated type of person. Because all of mankind was given life and breath. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in hopes that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, Paul listened and he learned and then he used their own poets to draw them to the gospel. He says, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So they're worshiping this unknown God. Paul had learned from listening to them that, that they believe that this unknown God is the, is the God of fertility, is the God who has offspring. And, he, and he's saying, this is Yahweh. And he says, being then God's offspring, see verse 29, he levels the playing field. We are all the offspring of God. He has granted our life. He has determined our boundaries and our dwelling places. He granted you life in 2020 where you live for a purpose, for his glory, for the good of those that you interact with, and for the advancement of his gospel. Paul levels the playing field. Thank you, Kai Chen, for reminding us of the, the level playing field that we all live on, that God loves mankind. And then lastly, Paul lifts up Jesus as the only hope for the world. Kaichen, thank you for doing that. This is what Paul does too. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that some divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Again, he levels the playing field. All of mankind is called to repent. That means turning from our wrong ways and turning to God, to his son, Jesus Christ. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. Who's the man whom he appointed? Who's the man whom God appointed? Jesus, amen. Jesus Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the appointed one. And so here Paul is calling these people in the midst of their idolatry to repent, to turn to God through his appointed son, Savior, the Christ Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Amen.
God appointed his son Jesus to be the savior of the world, to bring us back into unified, united humanity underneath the lordship and the reign of King Jesus. That's what unites us. And so this morning, let's take communion together.